be in 1 Samuel chapter 18. But there's a list of spiritual gifts, and you can find them in a couple places in the Bible. But I'll give you sort of a working list of spiritual gifts here in speaking, service, teaching, encouragement, giving, leadership, mercy and grace, wisdom, faith, helper, hospitality, evangelism. We could add a few and manipulate our list a little bit differently. But these are basically the spiritual gifts that we've been given. And you see, if you know Christ as your personal Savior, you were given the Holy Spirit at that moment. Theologically, it's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You never have to seek it. You never have to ask for it. It happened the moment when you received Jesus as your personal Savior. You were given the Holy Spirit. Say amen. But what? What about these spiritual gifts that he's given to us? Why does he give us these gifts? Well, yes, he gives us these gifts to minister to the body and to help people and so that we could do things outside of our own ability that we would never be able to do for Christ. But really, these spiritual gifts, they keep us controlled. They keep us in the right direction. And yes, they keep us safe. You see, in Romans chapter 12, Paul will give some of these spiritual gifts inside that chapter. But before he does that, He does a verse that so many of us have heard and we've heard quoted and we've even memorized when we were younger. He gives us Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. Before he gives us the list of spiritual gifts, Paul will say this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable, which is your reasonable service. And if you've been in church long enough, you've had that verse quoted to you many times, maybe by your mother. Maybe you've quoted it to why you could not do certain things or go to certain places because you're supposed to present your bodies a living sacrifice and pure before God. And he goes on and says, and be not conformed to this world. See, that's a problem you're having. You're having an addiction issue. You're having a peer pressure problem in your life and you're finding yourself being conformed to this world through either entertainment or some habit or a certain group of people are influencing your mind and you constantly come back and you say, why can I not get victory over these things? What is keeping me from presenting my body? What is keeping me from making my life a holy living sacrifice? And Paul will go on to say, transform by the renewing of your mind. You say, Pastor, that's what I'd like to do. It's like my mind is in a prison. It's like, it's like my mind is infected. That you may prove that which is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And what does Paul do after he gives us that verse? He begins to remind us of the spiritual gifts we've been given. You see, the key to this verse of keeping your life pure, the key to keeping your life clean, is practicing the spiritual gifts God has called you to do. You see, spiritually, there's an enemy. There's an enemy trying to hurt us. And we need to stop making his job easier. If you're taking notes, spiritual infections, and I chose that word on purpose, spiritual infections destroy your life. Now think about this. We guard ourselves physically. Oh, it's the flu season. You've seen the news. And so you wash your hands. And some of you ladies have that little Perel thing inside there. We do the fist bump because you keep your germs, I'll keep my germs. We watch ourselves spiritually. Don't shake the pastor's hand because he shakes everybody's hand and you'll get every germ on the face of the earth. But we leave ourselves completely open spiritually. There's a phrase, and I hear mostly millennials, a few of you old hippie types, But mostly millennials say it. Well, I'm spiritual. 
I'm spiritual. And I think, you know what that means? It means I'm just open spiritually to whatever is out there. Really? You would never surf the internet that openly, but you spiritually open yourself up like this? Listen, 99% of what is out there spiritually is bad. And yet, you're clicking on emails from Nigerian princes spiritually. You're clicking on ads and saying, sure, I'll download this. Sure, I will surf the internet without a virus protection program. But spiritually, you open yourself up for all possible infections that are out there and say, sure, I'll sample everything. And quite frankly, this is why people like this that are spiritually infected. Just to be polite, but this is why they say some of the dumbest things you'll ever hear. They are spiritually infected. Now see, why is that, why is that important? Well, we are a triune being. Triune being. Um, this is not proof of the Trinity, but the Trinity is sort of a symptom of this. There's other proofs of the Trinity, but this is a byproduct of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We are a triune being. It means you are a person with a body. Your physical experience is what your body has. Um, even plants have a body. Uh, secondly, you have a soul. Your soul, for lack of a better term, is a sense of self-consciousness. Um, it's who you are, personality-wise. It's why you think people falling down on YouTube, right, is funny. That's your personality. It's why you like soccer. You're weird, okay? It's part of who you are. That is your soul. It's your self-consciousness. But also, you have a spirit. Your sense of God consciousness. Your spirit is the way you connect between you and God. And we focus on the body a lot. We get in shape. By the way, you made a New Year's Eve, New Year's resolution, right? How's that going? Okay, we won't talk about it. But we focus on the body, and we try to make that our main emphasis. And, you know, even some of us subconsciously have been focusing on the soul, right? You read books, and you try to become more knowledgeable. You try to learn things. You try to become a better person, a more well-rounded person. And that kind of goes back to the body part, doesn't it? But anyways, thank you. But here's the problem, and I don't think I'm out of bounds when I say this. We have not guarded ourselves spiritually. And when you are spiritually infected, it's going to infect your soul, your personality. Oh, don't believe me? You haven't done your devotions in a month, and you haven't been walking with Jesus in a year or so, and you find yourself in a situation, you hit your thumb with a hammer. And what comes out? You find yourself under a position of stress and you're kind of pushed down. You have allowed yourself to be spiritually infected. Now it's hit your soul. And I believe, yes, I believe it eventually will hit your body and it will change your body. And the Apostle Paul said it in Corinthians. Some of you have died. Some of you have fallen asleep prematurely. Why? Because they had an infected spirit that led to an infected soul that ultimately infected their bodies. Now listen, animals have souls. They have personalities, but they don't have a spirit. Plants have a bodies, but they have no soul. Aren't you glad? Because the next time you bit into a corn cob, it would go, ah, right? Plants have a body, but no soul. Animals have a body and a soul, but they have no spirit. You have a body, a soul, and a spirit. But do you realize this? Until you accepted Christ as your personal Savior, 
Your spirit was dead. You had a spirit, but it was dead. Ephesians 2.1 says, You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. Colossians 2.13 says, And you being dead. Jesus connects us to God. He brings, when you accept Christ, he brings that dead spirit alive. And that spiritual side of you is what connects you between you and God. But that spirit being alive now brings an opportunity for infection for Satan. The verse we began our service with, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, our enemy, the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour, seeking whom he can infect today. You see, our enemy has one goal, basically. Destroy, spiritually destroy your life. You see, the thing about Satan is he hasn't changed his methods. He hasn't changed his playbook. Satan has the same playbook he had with Eve that he does with you, that he goes all for these last 2,000 years since the cross. He has the same plays he does. Why? Because they keep working. If the plays work, why change them? And today, I want to show you what Satan is trying to do, the plays in which he is trying to infect your spirit. Listen, there are some very nice people in uh, the Pentecostal group. And there are brothers and sisters in Christ in the assembly of God. But they have focused on why God's trying to heal your body. Don't be focused on God healing your body. Don't even be focused on God first trying to heal your soul, your character, the scars, first and put. Focus first on your spirit. Because it is your spirit that is most important because after your spirit goes... So goes your soul, so will go your body. Amen? They have the cart before the horse. Satan is trying to infect your spirit today, and I'm going to give you three of his plays in which he does that today. If you're taking notes, the enemy's plays, number one, he will attack your weakness. 1 Samuel 18, look at verse 17 with me. And Saul said to David, now remember, This is the same man who at the beginning of this chapter just threw a spear at David trying to kill him. Not once, but twice. Behold, my elder daughter Merib, her will I give thee to wife. Immediately, when you think of King David, even people who don't go to church, there are two stories everybody remembers about David. First is Goliath, which we just saw last chapter. The other story that everybody thinks of when they think of David is... Bathsheba. This story, is, this story is why so many of you ladies don't like David. The story of Bathsheba and how he's unfaithful to his wife and, well, how he treats Bathsheba. What was David's major weakness? You know, if you, if you learn David's life and as we go through and study this, we'll find that David's major weakness was women. His sin with Bathsheba, his multiple wives... What brought David down? What kept David from being everything God intended him to be? The physical act of intimacy. David's issue, David's weakness was women. Now yours may be money. Yours may be some other addiction in here. Yours may be gossip. No amens. Okay, yours may be gossip. But there are two things I notice about weaknesses I want you to see. Two things. Number one, 
Everyone has one. Everyone has one. Can we just be real for a moment and not churchy? Um, I'm a sinner. If you're a sinner, raise your hand. There you go. Everyone who doesn't have their hand raised is a liar. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. Wouldn't you like to... No, that's a commercial. Anyway, be a pepper too. Remember that? I have a weakness. So do you. You need to realize what your weakness is. And you need to build strong walls up to it. Uh, we took a, a, our student ministry a long time ago. Uh, we took them to Navajo Nation in Arizona. And because of that, we flew into Las Vegas, drove across. And I walked through those uh, casinos and different things like this. And I spent nothing because I'm not stupid. Uh, they don't build these huge buildings and magnificent structures because people are winning so much money, right? That, that has no interest in me at all. Gambling and giving up my money, that has no interest at all. Uh, other people, like my wife, she likes to take risks. She jumped out of an airplane a few years ago. After that, she had open-heart surgery a month later. I'm not saying the two are connected, but they did happen. She likes to take risks. And when we were leaving, when we came back and we had to fly out of Las Vegas to come back to Michigan, there was a, she said, look, and there was a quarter on the ground. And in Las Vegas, there's slot machines everywhere. And she, I, she goes, let me play it just once. And okay, so she put the quarter in the slot machine. And what happened? It went ding, 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 ding. And she won like a dollar. And she's like, let me do it again. I said, oh, no, no, no. Let's go, let's go. Get thee behind me, Satan. Let's go. I want to keep our house. But anyways, you know, everyone in here has a weakness. What's your weakness? You better find out. Number two, Satan knows my weakness. Let me give you a few theological terms to describe Satan. Satan is not omniscient. Meaning, he doesn't know everything. Uh, We sometimes view Satan like we do God. God knows everything. He knows what's going to happen. He knows what did happen. He knows what you're thinking. Satan doesn't know your thoughts. He doesn't know everything. Secondly, Satan is not omnipresent. Meaning, he's not everywhere. In fact, see, God is everywhere, but Satan is a fallen angel, a being who can occupy only one space at a time and know a limited amount of things. That's why Satan has sort of a hierarchy, a system, a pyramid scheme of demons that work for him. The truth is Satan doesn't know your name, but there's a demon that does know your name. You can check out Daniel chapter 12 and you see it it talks about the prince of the kingdom of Persia, one of Satan's demons and over the area of Persia. Yes, there's a demon over the area of the United States. There's a demon over Michigan. There's a demon demon over Oakland County. There's a demon over Clarkston. There's a demon over this church because Satan can't be everywhere. He doesn't know everything. He has to use a network of demons in order to be there. That's why most psychics are fake. But every now and then there's going to be one that's real. He said, well, how does he know that? How did he know that? Well, it's simple because there's a demon that's been walking around with your grandma. There's a demon that's been walking around with your mom. And there's a demon that's been walking around with you, watching you, seeing what your weakness is and testing you and tempting you in all different areas. And that psychic with this demonic ability is able to speak to that demon that says, yes, this is what they did. This is how they behaved. This is what happened in their life. It's not because that person is special. It's because that person is connecting with a demonic activity. Now, that is a very small percentage of those psychics, but you better be careful and stay away from those people. Look, I understand. Look, we're talking about spiritual infections, okay? My mom was big on that, and we had all these barriers and borders. Some of them were silly. I look back now. We weren't allowed to watch Tarzan. 
You say, because he was, you know, the, the dress? No, because my mom said, Tarzan said he was the lord of the jungle. There's only one lord, and it's Jesus, and you're not watching that. But you know what that was? That was a boundary. We weren't allowed to have Ouija boards and play. You say, well, Pastor, that's just a game. Okay, maybe it does say Milton Bradley on it, but what a great way to get into your spiritual life and infect you. Be very careful. I would rather you err on the side of my mother and have all these boundaries and say, you know what, I'm just not really sure about that, than be open and opening yourself up to spiritual issues and spiritual infections. See, I tell you all this <clears throat> not to get you scared. Someone asked me once, Does, are there demons in churches? And I said, yes, they're called deacons. <laughs> hey, Ron, hey, Mark. No, 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 no. Yes, there actually are. They occupy this building. They see what goes on. They see what's happening. There are demons in your home. They are watching you. They are trying to spiritually infect you. You say, well, Pastor, you're telling me because that scares me. No, I'm telling you not so you'll go home and look underneath your bed and, and get garlic and wear it around your neck. No one would want to be friends with you then. No, I'm not telling you that. What I'm trying to tell you is realize that Satan and his network of demons, they know you and they know your weakness. So instead of surfing the Internet without a protection... Instead of spiritually opening yourself up to everything there is, maybe you need to guard yourself. Admit you have a problem. Admit you have a weakness. Put up a place that will keep you safe and guard you. And then take it to Jesus. Because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Number two, the enemy's plays. He plays on your pride. Gentlemen, this is, this is for you. Listen, how, uh, listen to the lies of Saul here in verse 17. Only be thou valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. Saul is buttering up David. He's playing on his pride. Did you hear about the clever salesman who closed hundreds of sales with this line? Let me show you something several of your neighbors said you couldn't afford. Listen, just... This statement here. Your pride will keep you from doing things for God because it will force you to think of yourself and not God. Pride, gentlemen, it goes before a fall. Satan uses it. You see, pride keeps so many people from getting saved. In order to get saved, the first thing you have to do is humble yourself and say, okay, I'm a sinner who can do nothing about it. Jesus died on a cross for me. I'm going to accept what he did. I'm going to accept his payment. There's no good works that I can do. It's filthy rags. That's how you started salvation, isn't it? Amen? If you didn't, then we need to talk because you have another issue. But you have to be humble for God to use you. Every person in this room has a pride issue to some degree or another. Ladies... Next week, come to church without makeup. Or fixing your hair. It got quiet, didn't it? So, uh, last night, I took, I, after being up here and plowing, I went home, called my wife and said, hey, let's go to this Irish place in Ortonville and see if it's any good. It was. And uh, she jumped in the car and she goes, oh, I forgot my makeup. And I said, you don't need makeup. You're beautiful without it. And she walked in and she goes, oh, I cannot believe I don't have my makeup on. I said, who cares about that? But I made sure my hair was straight in the mirror. But... <laughs> Gentlemen, you, know, you get a new car. 
I've seen this. I've seen guys who never drop their wife off at the door in church, but they get a new car. And they like to come in and take their time and slowly open the door for her. Because why? They want everyone to see their new truck. They want everyone to see their new car. Because you want people to see what I have. Why? We all have a weakness. We all have pride. To be anything for Jesus, you've got to address both of them. Number three, the enemies plays where he uses old enemies. Look at verse 17. For Saul said, let not my hand be upon him, but let the hand of the Philistines be upon him. The Philistines know all about David, don't they? He had just killed their champion. He had just de- defeated them in battle. They knew everything. They knew David and they hated David. If Satan can't get you with your weakness, if Satan can't get you with your pride, he's going to get you with an old enemy. An enemy you thought you conquered 15 years ago. A habit, an addiction you thought you finally had under control. And you were finished. You went to rehab. You had counsel with the pastor. You did everything and you feel like 10 years later, I have this issue under control. No, you don't. Because the enemy knows your old weaknesses. And if he can't get you with new ones, if he can't get you with your pride, he's going to bring back old problems, old things you struggled with. Do you remember the Incredible Hulk? Do I have a picture? No? I didn't put one in? All right. You're going to see somebody this week who went to a different church and talked about, what did your pastor talk about? Some great spiritual truth. And they're going to say, what did yours talk about? The Hulk. <laughs> Comics. Anyways, do you remember the, the Hulk? The Incredible Hulk isn't the Hulk. He's actually a person. Anybody know his name? Bill Bixby's the actor. David Banner's the character. You're you're like three layers deep on me there. The person the Incredible Hulk is is David Banner. He could hide his secret for a while, right? But eventually, eventually it always came out. I always wanted to know how his clothes expanded when the Hulk... Anyways, and listen, inside you is a Hulk. You're hiding it for a while. You're able to keep it under control. You're able to mask it for an hour or so on a Sunday and maybe be crazy enough and come back Sunday night for two hours and maybe be really weird and come back on Wednesday for three hours. You're able to mask that hulk of who you really are and you're keeping it inside and you're able to resist it so nobody actually sees it. But the reality is, the reality is the old enemy is still inside you. The old problem's still there. David Banner never got rid of the hulk inside of him. And you will never get rid of your sinful nature. You will never get rid of the old man, the flesh. But every believer has the blood of Jesus on their side. I want you to see, watch how David will counter all three of these plays of Satan. He addresses them all in verse 18. And David said to Saul, Who am I? What is my life or my father's family in Israel? He addresses his pride. He says, Who am I for this honor? Next. Uh, that I should be son-in-law. He addresses his weakness, women. And by the way, we find out that Saul's daughters aren't that big of a prize anyways. But he addresses his weakness, women. And lastly, he says, to the king. And he finishes with his enemy. 
His enemy that just at the beginning of this chapter threw a spear at him and tried to kill him not once but twice, he addresses him. The first steps to defeating Satan's playbook is to address his attacks. You have a weakness. You have pride. You have old enemies. Listen, the greatest protection from Satan infecting you spiritually, the greatest one is what? Is use your spiritual gifts. One, you'll be too busy to have free time to get involved in things you shouldn't. But see, this is why you find people who are Christians, but yet they seem so bitter. Why? Because God gave them the gift of teaching and they refuse to teach. You find Christians, uh, last week when uh, um, Kyle, Joe, Joe Hicks, I call him Kyle, that's his first name. When Joe Hicks was preaching and he was talking about going to those biker rallies, and he says about half the people there are Christians, and just about half of those people tell them up and tell them the same story. Well, I got saved, and I used to, and I was involved, and I was. You know what happened? They stopped exercising the spiritual gift that God gave them, and they started surfing their spiritual life without protection, and they got spiritually infected. God has given you the gift of encouragement. Find things to encourage people about. Find somebody to lift them up. God has given you the gift of leadership. Are you going to use that leadership to pull people away from Jesus or drive people to him? He's given you the ability to evangelize. Some of you have the ability to walk. This is always frustrating. Can I vent to you for a second? This has always frustrated me about church. Because the people who are evangelists, the people who do the most for Jesus, it seems like they're the ones who have the least amount of outgoing personality. But there are people always in church, there's people in this church, there's people in every church I've ever pastored, who have the ability to walk into somebody's office who they've never met and convince that person to buy something for millions of dollars as a salesman. And then they turn around and say, I don't have the ability to be an evangelist. Really? You can sell... You can. A, a, I was going to say an ice machine to a snow, an Eskimo, and I could not get it out. There you go. I've been up really early, John. I've been doing a lot of snow plowing. Anyway, you have that ability, but you can't use that same ability to lead people to Jesus. You look at this list. What's the best way to protect yourself spiritually from being infected? To be able to present your body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable. Do what God has called you to do. Amen? You see, sometimes we are our worst enemy. Sometimes we are our own worst enemy. I was remembering a a story with Sandra. We were talking when we were eating yesterday. uh, I have never been in, so I have never been dragged out of a bar. I've never been in one, so I've never been dragged out of one. But I have been dragged out of a Waffle House a time or two. If you've never been to a Waffle House, just imagine the most disgusting, dirty gas station you've ever seen and people eating in it. Uh, Because that's pretty much what a Waffle House is. There are things that are primarily down south. Anybody ever eaten in a Waffle House? Yes, and you've survived, right. Um, They take at least five years off your life every meal. Uh, But in Bible college down south, you know, when you're 18, 19 years old and you don't drink, don't do drugs, you're not messing around with your girlfriend, you have to find ways to let off steam and do silly, stupid things and stuff like this. And so one of the things we did, the, the floor of my uh, uh, dorm, uh, we all went on a Saturday around 6 o'clock, and about 30 to 40 guys, we went to a Waffle House. 
uh, there. And they used to have this thing at Waffle House, $2.99 all you could eat. And there was just like a whole big menu you could choose. And I think this is why they don't do it anymore. Because we all went there at $2.99 all you could eat, and we had a contest. We had a contest to see who could eat the most food. And uh, there were, I, I, now I know what I look like now, but I used to at that day weigh about 135 pounds, all right? It's like 100 pounds less than, <laughs> this is what happens. But anyways, and so we would have a contest to see, and you'd have to keep track of your food by the price off the menu, and who could eat the most amount of food. And uh, there were guys, six foot two, six foot three, 300 pounders, little guys, small guys, and everything. And the person who usually won was me. Uh, one time I ate over $90 worth of food. And I don't mean I nibbled at it, I devoured it. And I had to literally, one of my, a couple of my friends literally dragged me out of the Waffle House. I went back to my dorm, I'm eating Tums and everything. I'm laying on my bed just, just promising God anything if he'll get me through this. You know, I'll go to China, I'll be whatever you want me to be. Oh Lord, I'm about to throw up and I don't know if you've ever seen it but I haven't. I don't want to know what $90 worth of Waffle House thrown up looks like. So I'm just begging God all these other things. See, sometimes when you're young, sometimes some of the stupidest things you do, sometimes some of the worst things that happen to you are your own fault. Today, protect yourself spiritually. You see, don't worry about your body first. Don't worry about your soul first. Worry about your spirit. Because if you get your spirit clean, your soul, your body will follow. Use the gift God has given you. If you don't use it, you're going to get infected. Every head bowed and every eye closed. We're going to have our invitation. And with a message like this,